This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, an excellent, easy-to-use website creation platform. Make your own blog, online store, portfolio, or website today by going to squarespace.com and using the promo code THUMBS at checkout to save 10%. <laughs> what uh, what what is it, Jake? Holy oh, shit! Ooh. We're so close to episode two two two. Is that good? It doesn't mean anything. It's just the same, <laughs> same number three times. It's a third of Satan. It's July 15th, 2015. This is Idle Thumbs 219. I'm Chris Remo. I'm James Spafford. I'm Jake Rodkin. And I'm Nick Brecken. Hey! Hey. It's nice to see you guys again. It's been a while. Yeah. It has. Mm-hmm. I mean, not for me. I, I, I was You've here last been here. Um, <laughs> Danielle's still in Tokyo. Or not, not Tokyo. She's in Osaka, maybe, Osaka maybe now. Yep. Yeah. It's a shame. Yep. I missed you guys. I missed you too. Thanks, man. I saw Jake at E3. That was a long time ago. Yeah, E3 is in the past. Ages ago. E3 is in the past. I need uh, to listen to the cast that you guys did when we were away. But it was really good. It was one of the great casts. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fine. Uh, what are we talking about this week? Video games. Yes, we're talking about video games, and therefore we are talking about Call of Duty Black Ops 3 Zombie Mode trailer. Um, straight in there. Straight into <clears throat> video game, video game. Vi- so, okay, I guess... Three. <laughs> I asked before we started recording if anyone had seen this, and Chris immediately said, ask again when we record. So, has it, Chris, you have seen this trailer, I guess? I have. Do you remember what it's called? It's the it's the Call of Duty Black Ops. It's just I think it's just Call of Duty Black Ops Three, three Zombie. No, it actually has a name. It has a campaign name. Yes, it it is okay. The, Weird. The call yeah the Call of Duty Black Ops Three Zombie Mode apparently is just a totally new additional game that you get in Call like of Duty Black Ops Three. It just looks like a game that is announced. You know what I mean? Like it. it, it well, they've been right. doing these for a while, but, but okay, now well, you're first, saying they're no. I'm saying this one looks as though. It has nothing to do with Call of Duty. It just right. looks compl- I mean, I know that Zombie Mode is already Zombie a stretch, Mode is but- like like a theme park doing a Halloween makeover in that every yes. year it gets increasingly ostentatious until they're basically just building a new theme park that is Halloween right. themed. Yep. And it is I think it's called The Giant, maybe? Is that correct? Um that could be an old one. Codblops the Giant. But <laughs> it is the marketing for it just says Call of Duty Black Ops three zombies even if whether or not the campaign has a name it is insanity because it looks like a halloween version of like bioshock of or bioshock plus like 90s like voodoo lounge swing yes. music yes, yes. Wait, what it's and, very much and it like- has a celebrity cast like single player campaign inside of just like an alternate universe like mobster World, it's mobster called, okay. world. It's called Shadows of Evil. Oh, okay. Yeah, it looks Not like the giant. No, the giant is a different. <laughs> the giant is apparently some other zombie-related content that has a trailer that just came out that I haven't seen. Okay, so, but you whatever. saw the weird like '90s swing revival. Yeah, you know, mobster thing this is the one you really saw. Unexpected. Yeah, it looks more. like it should have a, a a a score by the Squirrel Nut Zippers or something. Right. Uh, like it's it's uh, <laughs> it is shocking. It looks like it really looks like a team. Apparently, the people who uh, 
are in charge of it were the people who spearheaded the original Call of Duty Zombies mode. And it looks like they were just given... This is their intentional vision. This is, to just say, what they were going for. Just make a game, <laughs> I guess. Just like, make imagined. a game that yeah. we can pack in it's to crazy. Call of Duty the, the, now. The, mm. Yeah, it just looks like a different other AAA game that happens to use, I guess, I imagine the Call of Duty movement mechanics and weapons well, You know, you and know stuff, what it looks but... like to me? It looks like a just a different non-Call of Duty Activision first-person shooter. It looks like something that would have been made by, like, Raven Software or something. Mm. You know, one of those internal Activision teams mm. that makes kind of um, mid-tier first-person shooters. And when I say mid-tier, I don't mean, like, poor quality. I just mean the ones that are developed with all the trappings of AAA, but clearly aren't given the just infinite money. You know, I'm, I, like... <laughs> Not quite the infinite money. Well, I, you know, I'm thinking, like, the the Wolfenstein games prior yeah. to the most recent one, or like, what are some other examples of what I'm talking about? Um, I don't know. Just anything that, that Raven did really for years and years and years. Even um, there, even some of the later quake sequels. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like quick four. It looks like a game of that scope. I mean, and I'm sure that it's smaller scope than that. It has to be because it's a pack in just mode. It's not even a pack in. It's a literal, just a mode of this game. Yeah. But the, the trailer makes it look like an entire Thing because it, there, there can't be any the trailer just looks like a new batman game or bioshock infinite or something i mean it just is well there's yeah. just there's no it can't be very many textures and models shared between this and no that's <laughs> yeah it's it's crazy but also what? do you remember the entirety of the cast of this game because the most notable person is jeff goldblum yes. so there's a mocap <laughs> jeff goldblum but there's like yes. there what? are there are many other actors inside of this and i can't remember all of them because i was mostly surprised by the fact that Jeff Goldblum is in it. He only has like four lines in the trailer, but they are insane. And I can't tell if they're, if it's because Jeff Goldblum has no idea what he's doing or if it's because he's just being a strange, like it feels like Jeff Goldblum channeling like David Lynch or something. I think it's both. I think that I, it feels like he wasn't given a lot of very concrete direction. So he's just doing, <laughs> or the, he didn't pay attention wacky, to any of it yeah, or that. <laughs> so he's just doing sort of like the wacky thing that he thinks is called for. And it ends up in a weird zone. It's like, it's not as it's oddly wacky, but not that gold bloomish. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, a, it's just a wacky man. Yeah. I don't know if there's a whole lot to say about this thing, but it man, classic Jakeism. What? I don't know. I mean, we've, we've <laughs> said it's me realizing that we've probably gone on for a little bit too long, but like, it's worth watching this trailer just to look at it and go, what in the world is this? Cause it's like, it's off the rails as far as what you'd expect for a side campaign yeah. thing. But when it gets into the second half of the trailer and you see that it is just a bunch of absolutely shitty one liners and people just tearing bodies apart with machine guns you're like okay you're right it is it is call of duty or bioshock infinite after the all. cast includes <laughs> jeff goldblum heather graham neil mcdonough ron perlman and robert picardo i don't know who robert picardo is but, sounds familiar. um what a crazy thing it's called yes. the full name of this is call of duty colon black ops 3 colon zombies dash shadows of evil <laughs> That's wow. a good name. It's like Zombies Dash is, an, is yet another mode uh, being That's their mobile yeah. tie-in game. <laughs> That's the kart racer zombie tie-in. That's the Infinite yeah. Runner. Yeah. Man, you seeing Quake just now reminded me of a cool thing that JP uh, LeBreton shared on Twitter the other day. You know that weird Google Deep Dreams oh, yeah. acid trip How have we not talked about that thing? on this podcast? Yeah, did you see that someone applied it to a bunch of Quake screenshots? Quake 1? 
It looks amazing. So, it looks no. perfect. Like it's the perfect way to enhance that game. It isn't a thing that actually <laughs> runs, but like if you look at it, it's like oh shit! Like the you know weird things coming out of the ceiling and shambles well, covered mm, in dog the, heads. And like, yeah. It's really crazy. <laughs> the, I mean, the, so the original Doom texture set and Quake One texture set already both feel like they were just mutated, pulsating, <laughs> yeah. organic, yeah. weird, just garbage. So. Having just a bunch of eyeballs and dog heads also coming out of that seems. I wonder if you could just run all the textures through. It wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't be the same, but would it be kind of good? It probably wouldn't be horrible. (laughs) Somebody do it anyway. (laughs) I was was a little bit bummed when the Doom 4 trailer came out that visually it was so conventional and, you know, not like. Because what you really want, once there's. Once it's been this long between the last mainline Doom game and this one, what you really want. Is someone to just be like, fuck it, we're going back to Doom 1 and Doom 2 and bringing that crazy fucking aesthetic yeah. into the possibility yeah, of modern man, game development. If, if, a, if, a, if that trailer had just had some of that just strange organic shit and basically just eyedropper the color palette of the original game but at this yeah. fidelity, yeah. holy crap. I know. It would be so good. I don't know if it, Okay, you made a face, Nick, that was like, would it be good or not? But... uh whatever um doom 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 <laughs> isn't that thing just called doom i think i think so it is a reboot it's just not very oh it's not called imag- doom 4 maybe it, is. it doesn't matter it, doesn't it just look like doom 3 that had been upscale i yeah. don't know Meh. <laughs> Do you reckon it still has the flashlight that everyone was so fucking pissed off about? <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Man, that's <laughs> whole God, what an amazing movie that would be, be if, if Doom Four Jesus comes out and it's just press to switch between flashlight and gun. You're like, oh my God! Oh my God! Table <laughs> flip. Man, the controversies of a decade ago. The video game controversies of a decade ago seem so quaint in comparison. <laughs> How dare you bind the flashlights to the same hand as my... Like, oh, that's so adorable. I mean, right, because That's, we that's just, what everyone got up, upset about back After then. having gone through the gauntlet of, like, Game of Game and everything else, yeah. like, that just seems the most petty, stupid uh, yeah. thing to worry about. <laughs> and you. yet, and yet, people yeah. who were uh, complete assholes during Gamergate would probably still be incensed if that flashlight feature came back in 2016. Um... <laughs> I hope there's a new the flashlight of Doom Four, whatever that may be, something really good that they put in there. We'll hope. We'll hope so. A cover system, something like that. (laughs) (laughs) My cover systems, I feel like, have kind of run their course a little bit, and I'm pretty happy about it. I don't. I don't have a point to make about this. (laughs) I just. I just. I realized that was your point. No, I just realized at a certain point that I was so tired of the um it kind of wrote expectation of cover systems you know where it's just like just kind of one of those things that makes every game feel the same you know there's some things that when a game does it other games that do it it feels like oh you just have to have this now i mean like the example i always think of is um halo's control scheme on right, consoles yeah. right things like that that's just like oh this is just correct <laughs> this is just how it should be if you're making this game on this platform and then there's some things like cover systems that just get they just they also just start being in basically every game, but it's not necessarily clear that it's because they're always appropriate or better. It just like becomes fashionable and it and it, and you realize after a while that all it's doing is making games 
approximate each other in a point. Yeah, we, we way. talked about this in, in oh, terms sorry, of. Oh, no, sorry. No, not literally specifically this. We talked about it in terms of every sports game becoming an open world game. Oh, yeah, that's but totally like, true. It right gets now. all the way down to like, it feels like there were a couple years where for some reason every game had a fucking cell phone that could pop up in the corner that had a menu <laughs> system yeah. in it. Like, <laughs> yeah. It was so weird. Well, <laughs> was GTA 4 the first one, or not the first, but like the one that popularized that? I don't know, because it was in SSX 3. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah. I feel like the band between around that sort of extreme sports blow up where your character was in an open world and GTA 4 was like the rise, the slow rise of, of also that. Also the cell phone thing? Of the cell phone <laughs> thing, yeah. The current version of that is that you can take selfies in every game. Oh, really? Yeah. I've seen it in tons of games. Yeah. Huh. I wonder if that started so because I wonder if that started actually because of that uh there was a Twitter and Instagram account that was when Ocarina of Time HD came out and people realized that you had the it had the camera on the Wii where you'd have the Wii U controller <laughs> and it used the motion sensor to take a picture and people realized you could swing it 100% 180 <laughs> degrees around and take a selfie which I'm sure was not like designed as a selfie feature but someone started posting ocarina of well, time sure the hd instagram account that was just like link posting stupid tweets like like wrecked this boss and there's like a selfie picture of link and i thought that was so novel and like every game developer kept retweeting it as a joke and then i guess that just went into every <laughs> <laughs> the true selfie uh must have though is that selfie stick mod for doom one of course of course oh, there we yeah. go maybe oh, that's yeah. the thing i'll put in doom four <laughs> Instead of the flash, you have to drop your gun to bring out your selfie stick. Oh man! Oh man! You know the you know the the the, the most tr- the trollest fucking trolliest version of that you could make would be one hand switches between selfie stick, gun, and flashlight, but it's yeah. a single button that switches, so you have to cycle through all three. Oh, all yeah, what I was gonna say is that's what, Brendan, that's what Brendan Chung should do with the uh, Doom Three Arms. Oh right, because <laughs> should actually just implement this. Yeah, Quadrillo, okay, we have to be no, because no, no, no. He found Brennan Chung, the guy oh, who, yeah, for yeah. people oh. who don't know, who made uh, he he's he is Blendo Games. They made Gravity <clears throat> Bone and Thirty Flights of Loving, and he's working on a game called Quadrilateral Cowboy in the Doom Three engine. He posted a tweet yesterday or the day before saying found Doom Three engine's old ARM IK code and turned it back on, and then he put, <laughs> had just a, a video of the, the Doom Three Space Marine bouncing into walls and his arms responding oh, yeah. programmatically because that's yeah. For people who don't know, IK stands for inverse kinematics, and it's a type of uh, like c- character limb posing where you can like drag the wrist of a character around and their arm follows correctly. Yeah. Um, so instead of the arm remaining rigid and like clipping through the wall, it will the hand will like run as, into it and his elbow bends to right, make room exactly, as he hits yeah, a wall. Right. But yeah, obviously selfie selfie stick support. So the <laughs> ultimate, okay, so I think the actual they only use for an elbow. In the games. ultimate Doom Four troll would be if there is not. A flashlight in the game. However, there is a selfie stick <clears throat> which has a light to illuminate your face. Oh, you! Can- <laughs> so the only way that you can actually see in the dark is by holding up the selfie stick and looking at yourself and whatever is being illuminated directly behind you. Yeah, and so then you have to picture. walk. So you have to walk backwards while looking at your cell phone on a selfie stick. Uh, and oh, <laughs> I'd play that. <laughs> play that. That'd be fun. That also, as I guess, makes it the most stupid modern found footage horror game that could ever exist. Yeah. <laughs> All he has is a cell phone. Uh, it's stuck to the selfie stick. Yeah. Well, it's the setup of this movie. Like, <laughs> He's just vlogging that's the whole the, experience. That's the scene in the movie where usually it's like, I can't get service, and they throw their cell phone away. Except in this case, it's like, I can't get it off the selfie stick. Yeah. <laughs> and I Doom. can't get this selfie stick glove off my hand. 
No, it's like Saw. They tie two people together, one facing this way, the other facing this way with a gun, so he can see. <laughs> and then there's the co-op player next to you who has to shoot. <laughs> okay, now I'm definitely in. Yeah, now this is actually just a, like, Doom Jam, Doom yes, 3 Engine yeah. Game Jam game that is good. Uh, now it's just confirmed to be a good game. Um, Doom 4. Well, people oh, can so actually make it with Doom 3. It's just Doom. Doom. We just say Doom. <laughs> the best, Shadows worst be trailer fun. is the guy. <laughs> I can't get the phone the off giant. the selfie stick that it just hard crashes to the Doom font. <laughs> say, say Doom. <laughs> 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 see anything oh too good <laughs> would that be would that be shot one of those trailers game trailers that's actually an early teaser so it's shot as actual real oh yeah like, real yeah. time video yeah <laughs> oh yeah so you start watching it you have no idea what it's for oh, the, and then it just crash fucking yeah, smashes but, but, into the bethesda they the didn't go all out for the sort of cinematic uh trailer for fallout 4 I mean, because they spent all that money on this selfie released live action trailers before oh they do it all the time yeah yeah they did perfect. for a while. They had a rash yeah. of them, yeah, they but they too. didn't do one for for Fallout. And I imagine, yeah, it's because they put all the eggs in the selfie stick basket. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's gonna take over. Yeah, Pax is gonna own because of this new feature reveal. <laughs> um, I feel like we've talked more than we possibly could about yes. about zombie mode and Doom yeah, Four. That's true. Yeah. Chrissy played a video game. I heard about it. Oh yeah, I um I played and completed actually uh, the Magic Circle, <gasps> which was um released I think <clears throat> recently. I think about a week ago. It's in early access for a little bit, but it came out officially last week, and it was developed by a very small team. I'm pretty sure just three people. I mean, maybe they had some contract help, but it was Jordan Thomas who was the creative director on Bioshock Two and who also worked on the original Bioshock and uh, Bioshock Infinite, and Steven Alexander, who worked on Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite at Irrational. I actually sat uh, at his desk. You sat like, at, at his, his little desk? desk pop- in, well, in his <laughs> actually at his little, like, stole desk, his chair. You know, like, uh. <laughs> there were three desk pods at Irrational, mm. and I sat across from him, and he's a really nice guy and incredibly talented. Um, he was the artist and technical artist, kind of, you know, all at once, and then this guy Kane Shin, who I don't really know very well, but he's a programmer. He, he used to work at Arcane, actually. That's right. That yeah, is true. Yeah. Um. So I think it was just these three guys, as far as I can tell, and they did the whole game. And it's which, when you when you <clears> look <throat> at a trailer for it, might not seem that outrageous because the game is not all. Of, it's not. It's not incredibly like visually ambitious in the sense that you know it doesn't. It, it looks like a game that was made by a small team. But if you play all the way through it, mm. it becomes astonishing yeah, that this that, game was made by the number of people I mean, who I've, made it. I've only played 30 or 40 minutes, and that's already my impression, is yeah. that, like, you know, the, fir- keeps... the first five minutes, I was like, oh, this is about what I expected. This level right. of fidelity, just something very... Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, just the pacing of each just sort of, like, twist, like, moment. Yeah. In every, it keeps it's happening It's incredible. The whole it's game. really yeah. amazing, yeah. Right up until the end, right up until basically the absolute very end, Wow, entirely new things are still... Yeah, I was kind of wondering when it's, it's going to drop off. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, the part that you're... The part of the game you're in now is most of the game, mm. but surprises are still introduced throughout it so let me explain what this actually is this is a a game that is the conceit of this is that you are playing an unfinished game called the magic circle that has essentially been in development for like 20 years 
um, under the creative direction of this aging game designer named Ishmael Gilder, who's like, I think 60 or 61, you know, he's supposed to have been point. like a text adventure slash sort of like Infocom yeah. era mm-hmm. legend, right? Yes. Yeah. He could, could sort of, um, a, a Richard Garriott kind of figure, yeah. even, though, either, even though Richard Garriott didn't make text adventures, that's the kind of, you know, comparison. This, he, this like, he's like, he's like Scott Adams or something like that. Yeah. Um, the reason I bring up Richard Garriott is because he kept making games oh. throughout multiple eras of game development. I see. You know, cause this game, the, 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 the conceit of this game, the thing that makes it immediately unusual and interesting is that there is content in the game that dates to two completely different eras of game development and it crashes into each other. So the, you know, we, I, um, the, most of the game is intended to look basically like content art that is semi realized in the actual game world. So it's, it's rendered with, um, these you said uh, kind content of, art, but you meant concept art, concept art. I'm sorry. Did I say content? Yes. yes. Concept art kind of like sketch shader stuff. Well, texture work as well. And so it looks like you're playing like a very sketchy world. I mean, literally sketchy, like pen on paper. And, uh, but also you encounter parts of the world that look like they're from, I've talked about this part on the podcast before a, like 1994 era system shock game. Mm. So, and, and those things just coexist in the same world. And it's, it's really like that part of the game is amazing to me because the era of system shock one, that particular era of computer game development, when studios like looking glass were making really ambitious games that were kind of were sailed under the public radar I would say something like Daggerfall from Bethesda is in that category. You know, these like mid 90s games that were extremely ambitious when it came to player systems and worlds and so on, but were using very primitive 3D and weren't like the games that everyone talked about on, you know, like Super NES or whatever. Um, It's an era that there has not been a lot of retro nostalgia for, you know, like it's I think in part because they don't they didn't have the ubiquity during people's childhood that things like zelda did and so there just hasn't but like and because the their i I think that part of the reason people don't look back at those games as hardcore as as they could is also because people like irrational and uh, arcane are not making games that are like these but they're making games where they still have the same creative leads from that era proclaiming the same basic things even if they're making games that have actually evolved a million years away from what those original things yeah, were. We're, we're probably at this point about one generation removed from those actual leads still being in charge of things. Like someone like Ken Levine is from the, someone who played those games. Loved yeah, that's them true. And then got hired at, at, at looking glass for, for instance. But, right. but yeah, you, I mean, you're, I mean, there is a lineage for sure. And that lineage is just aggressively proclaimed in a way that you don't see as much for some, for some mm-hmm. other things. That, like, that's true. But, but I do think part of it is just, there is a lack of cultural penetration of that yep. style. And it, and it is really, really amazing to be inside that world that looks like a 1994 computer game space station and be walking around it and interacting with it. Um, it's just crazy. So anyway, so that is the, that is the framework of the game is that you are inside this unfinished game and you are basically fucking with it. And you can hear voiceover. That is the developers of the game, like talking basically from the sky uh, about what's going on and you're I this part I think was a little bit like out in the weeds to me fictionally like 
what it's supposed to mean that you are playing this game. And then there's also these like disembodied developer voices. It's, it's, I don't, well, I don't they, know if that stuff is sold Initially like well, refer but, to you as a play tester, but then realize that you're not, or is yeah, sort of a very yeah, vague that, kind that of stuff is a little like, bit what? mushy, but yeah. like, whatever you just go with it because it's what they needed to do in order to like, you know, put you in this world and have you, have you do the thing. So the actual, what you do in the game, which is, which I, is you, you have to like explore the world and unlock parts of the world and, you know, ultimately like dis- disable this like important enemy figure. I mean, you know, I'm not going to spoil what happens, but like to do that, you have to get past obstacles and um, incapacitate like hostile creatures. And the way you do this is by essentially reprogramming them all. It's very much mm-hmm. like hack and slash mm-hmm. the double fine game where you change um, the behavior of these AI creatures that inhabit the world. Um, but it's, kind of taken to a a crazier degree just with the number of different kinds of special abilities these enemies can have and the ways that they can interact with each other it ends up creating a really once you actually start delving into it it creates a really amazing just total ecosystem it actually considering some of the people involved in this game worked on bioshock it sort of was funny to me how much my experience in this game mirrored my experience playing Bioshock 1, where I played about the first half of Bioshock 1 essentially with the path of least resistance. I would just fire bullets at guys and would essentially just play the game and use my powers in the most straightforward way. And then about halfway through the game, I just kind of made the decision to start being creative and use, you know, using abilities in in more interesting combos and and Set taking advantage traps of or whatever yeah, else. setting yeah. traps in cooler ways. And the game got I was already, I was enjoying the game for other reasons, but then that part got more enjoyable in this game. At a certain point, you kind of have to start doing that because you start coming up against obstacles that really cannot be solved simply by what you do at the beginning of the game, which is just changing an enemy so that he has no behavior and therefore renders no danger to you. You know, like that's, that's the easiest way to, mm-hmm. to, to avoid an enemy is just to say, well, you can't do anything anymore. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you start chaining together amazing shit. And the way that I, I solved the final challenge in this section of the game felt so much, felt so glitchy and so unintended by the designers to me. And yet I know that they designed the game expressly to allow me to do things like that. Um, and like, yeah. can you give any example of this without being a total spoiler? Um, yeah yeah i mean sure i guess like the the thing about spoiling a thing like this is that you spend most of the time just interacting with this stuff mechanically so all, a lot of the, my moments of surprise were things that i created as opposed to things that were written in the story that is even really, though the game that, ha- even that alone is exciting to hear because yeah. from seeing the all the marketing for this game i've been more or less expecting it to just kind of be a game dev version of the Stanley parable. Right. It's mm. totally not. I mean, there, there is a lot of writing in this game. There's a sure. lot of voiceover and a lot of story in a certain, from a certain standpoint, but what you're actually doing most of the time, the game really expects a lot of you as a player. And it's like, it's really, really cool to play something where the designers expectations of the people playing the game are so high. You know, like they, they, they're just not, there is not a way to play this game on autopilot. You just can't like you'll reach, points where you really have to like figure out a way to do this like like, how the fuck do i use these all these tools that i have to to actually solve this problem and so like just as as an example um 
there there is uh, enemies have different kinds of attacks, including just like a basic melee attack that is different for every kind of enemy. The, one of the cool things is every ability that you put on a creature has its own version of it. So there's just an attack called melee attack. And if you put it on a little door opening robot, his version of a melee attack is he sprouts a little buzzsaw thing, <laughs> you know, but if you put it on a reanimated corpse, they have like a big sword. Um, and it's the same, effectively, it's the same like behavior giving them, but there's a different asset to represent it. It's like Smash Brothers. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like Smash Brothers. So anyway, there's a railgun attack that you can get from from a particular kind of enemy. And once you once you have a an enemy under your control, you can then reassign its all, all its behaviors to other. Um, so you can give a railgun power to a door opening robot. Yes, you can. Okay, good. And uh, but only only up to the number of times that you have gotten it from another enemy so if you only have oh, so there's like a finite number of of, yeah, that, that, of like of development your, assets inside of this that's game, your basically? inventory okay. those are your inventory items it works amazingly well it's a great system it's really smart so if you have if you had one railgun equipped enemy that is now under your control you now have access to one railgun behavior to put on up to one of any of your creatures and so you put that on a thing you give it the uh, fly ability, which I only had one of the fly movement type, right. you know, which I also only had one of. So I had one flying railgun equipped enemy and I set myself to be its ally, which means it will attack anything that attacks me as its ally. Um, you can also set its ally to be literally any other creature you've encountered in the whole world. Like that's how open-ended all this stuff is. Um, if you want your creatures to like follow each other around instead of you, for instance. Um, so I give it railgun flying and then I give it an ability called groupthink, which I got from like essentially a boss. What groupthink does is whatever enemy that type, whatever creature the type is that has groupthink, any other creature under your control that is the same type. So if you give your door robot um, railgun and, and flying and groupthink, all other door robots under your control within a certain radius will just have all of the behavior from the main, from the group think, from the group think, but one thing. mirrored. So now you have an army of like, flying group think, railgun equipped door robots. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do and, they all actually do they behave autonomously still, or do they mirror movement? Well, they as all well? have the exact same behavior. They have the same ally and the same right, but they enemy. don't literally. They they all still are flying under they their all, own AI. They routines. all individually execute yeah. the same behavior routine. Okay. Yes. Mm. Yes. That so insane. And so they. So I mean, it's like. And once you do something like this for the first time, it's you just like laugh aloud. You're just like, what? what is like what? It's 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 crazy. It's like it's I'm so impressed that all this shit works. And I never encountered what what seems to be an actual legitimate bug or crash or, you know, like there are sort of simulated glitchy things in the game because that's the fiction. Right. But you, you never actually but, broke it to the point that it the game itself broke only you only sort of fictionally. broke Right. It. Exactly. Yeah. And and. Huh. It's the thing that they, the story they chose, they chose to tell in some cases, I think their reach exceeds their grasp, right? Like at times I think it's, it's a, it's, it falls a little bit too much into the, like, this is satire by which we are condemning all the parties we're satirizing. And so, which feels a little easy to me. It's like, well, if you just like, that's also a bummer when they themselves are making a game that they're uses all the same paradigms and is right. sold in the same store as sure. like whatever. Sure. But, um, but whatever. I mean, like I, I don't, I don't want to be hard on that because sure. I, because I really enjoyed the thing on balance. Also the main, um, character that this game designer was played by, 
uh, James Urbaniak from um, Venture Brothers. Oh, Dr. Venture. Yeah. And uh, he really well cast. Really good job. Yeah. He really like nails what that that like the character that that, that they wrote. And um, and it, the, re- the only reason I bring up the the, the fiction is because I was going to say with the kind of writing that this game has, you generally which is, you know, not not too dissimilar from like the sort of tonal aims of something like a Bioshock game, although this is this is has more levity than, than a Bioshock game. But it, but it's in that sort of moral universe, right? Even 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 if it's, it has more of a sense of humor. And so you usually expect something like that to be much more linear and and even if it has player driven systems on the micro level, you expect the broader thing to to be much more about like really can like just delivering the story. But that's n- just totally not what this game feels like. You know, I mean, you're in this big world with all these weird different parts of the game all smashed into each other and you're just solving these fucking weird crazy puzzles and dealing with these enemies and and just pulling off amazingly open-ended um things, uh, you know, uh solutions. It's it's just I've just never played anything like this. You know, I mean, I, there are obviously are are Think you know things that work better than other things, but the whole combined effect. I just don't know of any other game that is like what this game is in its totality. And after you finish the sort of main chunk of what I'm talking about, there's other weird shit that happens. It's like how the fuck did you put all this in your game? It's I don't know. It's it's called the Magic Circle, and you can get it on Steam. Nick, you also played it. Oh God! I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I have nothing to add now. No, I mean my. I've only played it for what thirty minutes or something. But uh, I mean, my initial impression was the same. I don't understand how three or four people made that game. Um, it's it's just like already the density of things, and it does already feel like a game that just isn't holding your hand at all. Which is really, I know what you're saying. Like even without even having hit the big, you know, like complicated mm-hmm. puzzle moments or at least whatever the gating yeah, of, of that stuff. Yeah. Like it's still just from the first five minutes of playing, uh, you get to a door and there's no like just call out that says this is how you're, you know, w- even like what your objective is. Like you just feel like kind of alone in this weird place, which is really, yeah, like instantly feels very different uh, for a first person game at this point in, in games. But uh, yeah, no, it's really, it's already really fun. I'm going to keep playing it. I'll talk about it again, I guess if I cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I'm play that. <clears throat> yep. All I want is to be playing that. (laughs) Why am I on this podcast? And now. Video game. This podcast is brought to you by MeUndies, a provider of very high quality undergarments and other related basic clothing (laughs) for you and your body. Uh, MeUndies is uh, available in all kinds of styles and colors and types of of underwear for men and women for for any gender and it's great um i am a big fan i can personally attest that their underwear is very comfortable and high quality it has that feeling of like oh this is actually nice um which most of my underwear previous to this in my life did not (laughs) so (laughs) i like it you can go to meundies.com slash thumbs and get 20 percent off and also free shipping. Put them on your body. <laughs> Do what Jake says. Put them on your body. As you're putting the MeUndies on your body, just think to yourself, this yeah. is what Jake Rodkin does. <laughs> also think mind. about him taking them off his body. <laughs> 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 MeUndies.com slash thumbs. Uh,
This podcast is also brought to you by Squarespace, an incredibly easy to use, very convenient, and very beautiful website creation tool. You can make a store, a blog, a portfolio, any kind of website really that you need. You can go to squarespace.com and use the promo code THUMBS at checkout to get 10% off your order. Um, so we got actually a, a really nice email from a uh, podcast listener named Colin who wrote, I wanted to thank you for your persistent Squarespace ads. I decided to make a website for my mother's bath and body product business as a surprise for Mother's Day, which has secured me favorite child status for a while. Being a musician, I've had very little training for visual arts, and I found Squarespace incredibly easy to use. I received a lot of comments about how professional and snappy the site's presentation is, which made me and my mother happy. The site is OurSecretGardenNaturals.com. I made sure to disperse a lot of tasteful buzzwords like artisanal and organic throughout the text. (laughs) I can't stand it, but I secretly love it. Uh, Thanks for all your excellent work, Colin. So, yes, I checked out that site, and it is live, and it exists, and it is very nice. Um, And I guess if you need some artisanal bath products, you can go to there and buy them from Colin's mom. Adception. Uh, So that's squarespace.com, promo Promo code code thumbs thumbs. at checkout for 10% off. Exactly. Video are we back? Yeah, we're back. Okay, cool. Before we get into anything else, I have to quickly say that I did not play the Magic Circle yet, but I did watch their launch trailer. Mm-hmm. If you listen to everything that Chris and Nick said and then go watch that trailer and feel sad because the trailer is not good like I did, <laughs> ignore that instinct uh, because <laughs> apparently the trailer is not representative of the tone of the game. That's all. That trailer is bad. Yeah. That's all I, I have. have. I have not seen the trailer. Let me tell you something about that trailer, Chris. <laughs> I you, can guess what you're going to say. Um, it's a delight. Um, yeah. I hear That's Chris. all. Thanks, thanks everyone. See you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear Chris's Fallout Shelter uh, yeah, update. You're, you're playing oh, that game oh, yeah, still. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm still playing fucking Fallout Shelter on my my phone. Oh, is, are you still? Is it still the same shelter that was that had turned into the weird like? Yes. Propaganda hub. Yes, it is. It is. Okay, so. The reason I'm giving an update is because the current state is directly um, the current weirdness of my. I've gone through like three phases of weirdness. This is my third. Like so strange. What was what was your my my shelter is so normal. Can we have a recap? My shelter, my, all of this. Okay, so the recap was I guess four previously phases. on Fallout yeah. Shelter. <laughs> <laughs> so the first weird phase of my I'll stop saying weird. The first phase of my Fallout Shelter was Fallout when... Fallout shelters have three weird phases. Was when I didn't when I didn't. I overnight, you know, when I wouldn't be playing the game, obviously because I was sleeping, um, my base would continue to consume resources as though I had the app open the entire time. And mm. so for for just days straight, my entire population just very within just a, I, I basically I established the base and within a day, everybody was irradiated, tired, hungry, thirsty, Jesus. miserable. That happened to me. And I had to, really? yeah, and I had to yeah. claw, I had to, yes, because huh. if, because some people have this and some people don't, um. if you don't manually quit the app the entire way, if you don't force quit the app overnight, for some people, it will continue huh. to burn resources as though you were Crazy. actually still using the app. Anyway, so as a result of this, I had to claw my way back from this just like dismal, terrible beginning of my base. After I reached stability, I um, I ended up inadvertently creating a really gross society in which every single woman in my entire base was pregnant. Um, I just ended up creating a baby farm base, which just sort of happened before I realized that I was doing it. 
um, with a shockingly low number of fathers, uh, which <laughs> which led to a really distressing situation Weird after that. Pool. Yeah, yeah, um, you were at sort of so incest saturation. Yes. So then I I really like the pendulum swung in the total other direction, and I was so like distressed after that experience that I ended up creating a base with a number of like maximum sized fully upgraded radio broadcast centers which allow you to grow your population by attracting um dwellers from other vaults rather than by birthing new children dwellers in your own vault and so i put i like instituted a strict no pregnancy policy and and um just like had just roomfuls of people in their underwear broadcast because wearing underwear makes your charisma higher which makes you better at operating the radio like which makes you better at like attracting people to your base so i just roomfuls of people sitting around in their underwear in this like perpetual broadcast propaganda zone um so that was the those were like my last three fallout shelter like segments we're in the fourth phase and now now, here we are now in this like this phase of my base in which um i have succeeded in completely maxing out the population of my base through just constant intensive um propagandistic broadcasting um there's a 200 per 200 dweller population limit in hard limit in the game however um at the t- at the point at which oh man i reached the population <laughs> i know what you're saying cap sorry. yeah i was in my last cycle of propaganda so once you reach the population cap you can your dwellers will refuse to man the broadcast centers any longer because they're pointless you can't attract new people so they won't try however in the like weird gray area between me letting the last three people in and the last propaganda cycle completing i ended up in a state where i got one more round of broadcasting in after like right after my vault doors close to the last new inhabitants it will ever receive, which means three people like marched up to the front door of my base that are like, let me in. They can never come in. <laughs> they what? are just out there forever. Do they die? It's, like, are they no, still sitting? No. They're just out there still. It's, it's been a week and those three people still like hoping they get to come in. Do people, they can never do people come die in. anywhere inside of this game? I mean, they they yeah, can but they, they can, can die, but you can just revive them with money so instantly. Never, but could, so could you slot never goes away? Oh, so you, okay, so you can't choose to let them just turn into a skeleton and decompose and let yeah. those three people in. Ever. I could, but you I'm not gonna. <laughs> what if they're better? People die? What if they're, they're better not, than the people shitty. you have? They're level one. They're, all their stats are garbage. So this is the other reality of my base now. Is that <laughs> the guy like, on the radio? You're shitty. Your stats Go are garbage. Away. Get off my porch. So, you don't want in here. So because You don't have what it takes. So because I now can no longer grow my population, I'm like, well, okay, so... Now, <laughs> just Tyler Durden. Anyway, you're just Tyler Durden. So, okay, well, they, yeah, they I, just that, think that it's actually, part of the conditioning. That, hold, that actually holds up to what I'm about to explain to you here. Um, because I can no longer attract... Uh, additional dwellers to my base i'm like well i'm gonna make sure everyone who's here is fucking amazing so i i essentially i i have just like basically doubled the size of my base entirely with training rooms there is for each of the attributes in the game the special attributes you know strength perception endurance charisma intelligence uh agility and luck for each of those there is a type of room that 
you can put dwellers in and they will just do whatever in there, like read books or lift weights or, you know, like hang out at the bar and learn how to be charismatic or like play games and learn how to be lucky. They will do all those things and they will slowly raise each of those points over the course of usually hours or in some cases days if they're very high level. Um, and you can upgrade those rooms to be more effective. And so I now have like the entire like my, my base is, I think, close to 20 levels deep. And basically this the lower half of my vault is is pretty much entirely training rooms and it's just full of people who are all maxing out all of their stats <sighs> when, the, the, when the air finally clears and you can open the vault door you're just going to produce 200 presidents of the united states <laughs> <laughs> so, well, here, so here's the thing about the current state of my base is that people are happiest when they are doing the thing that they are best suited to. In other words, when they're doing yeah. the thing that they have the highest stat in, because I reassign you to a different room once you've maxed out, like once you've maxed out, for example, your intelligence stat, staying in the school room is useless. It gives you nothing because your stat is already maxed out. So I put you somewhere else so you can raise your perception, say, which means that nobody is ever in the room that corresponds to the thing they're best at because they're always trying to train up the thing they're worse yeah, but at, you're totally which means like they're always unhappy so i have a bit like my, my <laughs> happiness level has gone from being base hovering basically around 95 percent for for weeks to it is plunged like it is it do is you, do you feel like a parent though where you're like yeah this will pay off and you'll be yeah. happy later because eventually they'll max out and every and room no will where they go, make they'll them be happy because they'll be great right. at everything because they'll have been raised yeah. right <laughs> Hi, you're just a tiger mom in your yeah yeah exactly <laughs> in your underwear. So, so I have this base full of just like overworked, unhappy people. While three other people are like, I've heard this place is amazing. I can't long line to get in, but I'm sure it'll be <laughs> right. great. Yeah, yeah, it's inside, just, it's just like, like, I don't want to lift the weights anymore. <laughs> Let me die. <laughs> that guy wants to get in, and I want to get out. <laughs> so that's my base. Oh, and because I because I have. My people are so amazing and everything. I can now send them out into the vault for like days at a time with them, without them dying or needing to come back. Um, Wait, the door opens for a sec for them to yes, go out? Yes. Yeah. And so these these like shithole level one idiots are like out there waiting. Meanwhile, like every once in a while, the door opens and just fucking Rambo like trots out and like, hey, just like jogs by them on his way out to the Right, it's like Nobel Prize winning. They're like, Rambo. maybe this yes, time, exactly. maybe this time they'll let us in. Oh, it's closing so, again. <laughs> so that's that's my base. Anyone dying in there? No, we are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds great. Can't wait till I get to do it. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was a much better base update than I was expecting. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I imagine we want to get to reader mail reasonably soon, but I will talk about a thing that I played briefly, and I'll talk about it briefly. Okay. Uh, I saw an article on Polygon about this. Uh, if there's a fan-made single-player campaign for Portal 2 called it's called Portal Stories Mel because you play as a character named Mel. Okay. Um, and it is it is what it sounds like. It's literally is a, it a com- male shell. No. Good. It is, I think... Um, I thought that's maybe what the name meant. I think that it is people for whom English is not their first language thinking that it's kind of a clever joke to have the character's name rhyme with the character's name for Portal 2. Okay. Which um, is a window into the l- level of the writing content in this game, which is not great even though it tries. <laughs> sure. Like, it is, it is ambitious as all hell, 
Like, it is an actual complete, like, seems like it is three, four hour long single player campaign inside of Portal 2 set inside of Aperture Sciences. And it's intended to be, I guess, a story that takes place. I don't know where it lands in Portal chronology, but, you know, I mean, Portal 2 has a billion different eras of Aperture Science inside of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And this has that. Like, you start as a character on a train, which is like a Half-Life reference, but you're inside of Aperture Science, and you get in, and your first test is, like, testing a long-term sleep pod, and then you wake up and the whole thing is ruined, and it's probably sometime in the 70s or 80s. Um, And, like, Cave Johnson talks to you, but it's obviously not J.K. Simmons. It's like a sound-alike man who I think mm. might be German. Um, <laughs> and that stuff that stuff is, like, appealing in its ambition as a mod because you're just like, holy crap, you did all this. Ha ha. Like, I, it's kind of occasionally amusing. But the thing that is that is actually really, really, really good about it, if you can ignore the fact that there's a, a cheesy Cave Johnson sound-alike talking, is that the levels are actually what I personally would have hoped portal 2's level design mm. would be so like wow. it has it has the all the gel stuff and it has you know it has all the same mechanics as portal 2 but it's just fucking hard yeah like the the actual test chambers are just fucking hard which That's is awesome which is great because like even right off the bat where you when you're in sort of their ruined aperture sciences area which is sort of like a hotel that where the game starts the way that you get out of it requires you to just wander all over this building just to like get a little blob of gel into another part of the building so you can eventually sort of get super speed up and jump out the window but then you descend into test chambers and yeah there's just with you know the 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 gel plus the portals you always sort of hope that you'd be able to do things like you can do in the later test chambers in portal one where there's just the amount of space that you traverse with a portal obviously is like you go through a wall but then you're on the other side of a huge level and can see things very, very, very far away. And those things all have to interlock. And this just goes, it just goes for it. Like it's, it's, it's good. Um, I've only played like the first couple of test chambers because it took me a long ass time to get done with them. And it was just, that was very satisfying. So it's called portal stories, Mel. Oh, other thing about it that's amazing. And this is a total technical thing. It's a portal to mod. Technically portal stories, Mel. I heard it as, Portal story smell. Portal st- <laughs> more like that. Um, <laughs> it's a sick burn. It's a yes. mod for Portal Two, but it's a it's what I guess is could be most accurately called a standalone mod. Valve's uh, licensing limitation is you have to have purchased Portal Two, but it does not give a shit if you have it installed because all of its Weird. assets are self contained. Hmm, right. It's so nice you can just go into the Steam store, yeah. get it. And it just shows up like I I started downloading Portal Two and then I read the README and it said you don't need to do this and I immediately canceled it because I you know I haven't had Portal Two on my in my Steam library forever so I guess it's a mod only and that it uses the asset pack and stuff but Valve didn't require it to that's actually cool. sideload on top of Portal that's Two nice. it's really nice it's cool um, I mean I guess that's like um, Black Mesa Source mm. that Source version port of Half Life One I think is also its own entire standalone thing whereas initially they were gonna th- they were gonna make you have to have Half Life Two installed you don't so anyway if if what you want is some questionable um, narrative theming around a bunch of really <laughs> cool portal levels that are chained together as 
you know, the way they are in a portal game as opposed to it just being a bunch of challenge maps. This is a, it's pretty sweet. I'm glad that story had a happy ending because of the beginning. I know. I was like, why is he talking so about this? Like, yeah. oh, taking no, I mean, up the cool. writing mantle of portal is so crazy ambitious. Yeah. The also, fact that the fact that they tried that is questionable because yeah. like just every time I see the cake is a lie anywhere, it just makes me go. Yeah. It doesn't. It, also to their credit, it doesn't have any of that stuff. They tried really That's hard awesome. to just make That's original good. cave Johnson stuff. Cave Johnson is already hard and kind of hit or miss inside of the entirety of Portal 2. Yeah. So a fake sound of like not written by by Chet and Eric is 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 daring. But be, whatever. It should be applauded. Though. You can it's you awesome. can blast through that the beginning stuff pretty quick and just sort of go, "Oh cool, you actually, you know, built a bunch of aperture science and stuff that looks, you know, it looks like a mod, but it looks like it's it's clearly a team with some experience, but their test chambers are are great." That's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. Read us read mail. Read mail. Sure. Uh, let's see what we have here. So, Ali Rashad writes, Hey Thumbs, on the latest cast, Sean mentioned Dota Strikers, a mod where you can play soccer in Dota 2. It's very reminiscent of a mod that's been kicking around for a while in the StarCraft 2 custom game scene, Star Strikers. Fundamentally, it's the same idea. <laughs> soccer, but in StarCraft 2. got a better name, though. The players are various yeah. StarCraft 2 units scaled to be roughly the same size. Different characters have different speeds and abilities. For one, for instance, one character might be able to pull another character towards them, while another may have a temporary speed boost. It's all in the StarCraft 2 engine, so it's still click to move, but surprisingly fun. Last I checked, there's a community around the game with periodic tournaments and top players. I'm not sure if the Dota mod is inspired by the StarCraft 1 or vice versa, but either way, it's cool to see mods like these. Ali, Austin, Texas. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't have any personal experience with these, but I remember last week because i wasn't on the podcast i listened to last week's podcast uh where that stuff was discussed and i i searched for the mod and <laughs> in searching for the mod i i accidentally realized that there were a ton of mods like this for a lot of games that go back years I, it was crazy i was really of, ma- of just making making a strikers like yeah, yeah yeah it was if there's a game uh that came out it must be a, there's a bunch of people talking about it online that i follow on twitter I think it's called Rocket League on PS4, and it's essentially rocket-powered cars uh, playing soccer. Yeah. Oh no, I saw that? a GIF from that. Yeah, <laughs> did any of you guys ever without play, knowing what it was? Did any of you guys ever play um, fucking Rocket Kart or whatever from fucking Halo Three? Maybe Rocket. No. What was it? Rocket buggy. Oh yeah, no. What was yeah. it called? Yeah, no. It was oh god, I don't know. Rocket, rocket race something. Yeah. Rocket race, I think. <laughs> Man, that was an amazing <laughs> game mode. The the era, I don't know. I, think I played that with you actually once. Does Halo Four still have that, or Halo Reach or whatever, still have that like really really extensive multiplayer? I don't think any of us have put a lot of hours no. in Halo in the last ever. No, no. Yeah. Um, Forge is that what you're describing? Yeah, they're just. I just remember that 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 Halo Three was just. A rocket race is what it was. Yeah. For Halo, 3. Halo three was just a oh, rocket race. Oh, and it was race. for it was for Halo Reach. It was for Halo. <laughs> Halo Reach three as well. is just a rocket race. <laughs> oh, if you yeah, ask me. <laughs> no, they had it in Reach as well. So anyway, yeah. I so I guess Reach has all that same stuff. But man, the that era of multiplayer of Nick, did you you played some of that stuff? Yeah, right? yeah. Like that was incredible. The 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 just breadth of options you had to create your own multiplayer modes in Halo three and then maps as well. That was an just an inc- I had some of the just best times I've ever had in multiplayer with that game because of how how much breadth, how much, you know, 
how many tools they gave the player to just create amazing. Yep. God damn, that was good. So all of this talk about mods and also the talk about Doom and Quake earlier reminded me, Spaff, I think this was you and I think this is real. <laughs> Am I correct that you had a super hacked up version of Quake 1 that was that was stripped down to only your favorite multiplayer like map and a couple textures so that it could fit on one <laughs> floppy disk? <laughs> Not quite. It was three. Floppy. It was three floppy disks. Okay, <laughs> oh, that is still impressive. It was That's like, pretty is, incredible. Could you run it off the floppy disk, or was it, it, was, a, it was a spanned zip file or something? Yeah, so it was designed that was, so that for was, a school. That was under five megabytes. Yeah, it was. The floppy disk was one point four four, right? Yes, it, it was so you could. It was so you could secret it onto the school computer lab yeah. computer uh, with. A but it was th- awesome because you only had to use a space that was like eight meg or something. Our fucking school had Windows three point one in nineteen ninety nine. Whatever. <laughs> what? Fucking ridiculous. Anyway, uh, the Quake beginning ran on that. I mean, I guess I don't Quake know. Quake ran in DOS, DOS, so it didn't DOS, use Windows. Yeah, uh, we made a version of Quake that was small enough. I think it was three floppies, maybe may have been four. But like, you stored those on your user space, and then you ran a little thing that unzipped it to like the yeah. yep the network drive, and then ran it from there. But yeah, it had like only a handful of multiplayer levels, no sounds, no single player levels, no single player models, no. That shit was awesome. It's so funny. Yeah, and then uh, we were caught because we didn't write a script that would delete it from the user space. So they were like, <laughs> "Why are there a hundred copies of Quake on there?" <laughs> I'd be like, "Oh, I don't know." Quick write a thing that does that. <laughs> oh man, that's really. And good. we had a boss button. What? Did you make it? How did you have a boss button? As in, like, you know, your teacher's coming around. No, so I just, know. But how did you get a boss button into Quake? CFG. You just had it to quit out. And then also, when you loaded it, it loaded a, a preordained, like, text file or doc or file behind it so that when, so you, that when, when you, you quit, quit it looked already like you were something like, oh, there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome. Oh, man. The teacher walks by and sees that identical screen on, on three yeah. different computers and accuses it you of cheating. It also spawned <laughs> a boss in the map. Yeah. If you were caught playing games on the on the computers, then you had your user space halved, and it was already oh, no. so tiny. And my friend has user space halved so many times that he couldn't log in anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like not enough virtual memory to log in. Good work, Quake. Yeah, I know this. This would require way too much technical prowess for modern. He should have just put a de- like a fucking demo scene exe on it, <laughs> like six <6K>. k. <laughs> A crazy skull rotates on his computer all day long. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I guess middleware makes this basically impossible, but having a floppy drive game jam where you had to make a thing that you could surreptitiously install oh, off one disk right. would be so good, but it would require you have you'd have Only to be so hardcore. Make that, you'd have to, it would basically be a demo scene game jam at this point, which yeah. is impossible. Yeah. yeah. But the fact that you could take Quake One and strip it down to the fact that it could even fit on three floppies is amazing to me. I yep. I, I know. That's that's astonishing. Yeah, I I like that a lot. That that means that people must have taken Doom One and made it so you could just run Doom off one floppy disk. Because that game, even Doom One, was like a five or six floppy disk spanned install. Because Quake One was about sixty seventy meg. Yeah, I think they're actually. (laughs) God, I could be wrong, but I think people have like aggressively tried to get Doom down to the smallest possible um, install. Like, I think there is a version of Doom that you can just run that's like whatever, like you know. 30k or something you know it's just insane they, yeah. yeah they have demo scene things of people like making 48k demos yeah of full first person because yeah, it'll uh, procedurally generate the textures and unpack the yeah, lot of a yeah. hash and whatever else yeah alex evans who is the um one of the founders of media molecule used to write a ton of that stuff for the demo scene um and there's some on the media molecule website if you want to see some of the weird oh, crazy. crazy stuff that he managed to get onto like you know 4k or whatever that's awesome the limitations were 
Uh, we have two email. Uh, somehow, we have two different emails that are both about Phantom Menace film reels. <laughs> we talked <laughs> like, about we talked about Phantom Menace and Star Wars a little bit. Oh, also, I know, but these are both about film. The film casters. We, like, we, sorry, go ahead. Just we forward. didn't we didn't introduce this at the beginning. But if you're wondering where these emails come from and wish to participate, oh, yeah. you can always write us at questions at idlethumbs.net and we will read some of them and talk about them True. in our podcast. We will. Are they talking about how they were stolen? No. Uh, well, I don't know. Maybe. So let's <laughs> Do you remember that happening. Well, let's yeah. find out if that's what it is. Mm. So Michael Soldswitch writes, I wanted to share my experience as a projectionist when The Phantom Menace released. I'm not sure if it has changed, but movies came as four to six reels of film, which we would build up onto one large platter. Movies would arrive midday Tuesday and Thursday and just drop them off in our ticket box. Not The Phantom Menace. Lucasfilm paid a guard to handcuff himself to these reel boxes. The six copies of the film had to be built onto platters individually while he watched me. Each time a copy was completed, he would go back to the armored car and get another set of reels. This was so I wouldn't steal any frames from the film while building the platter. Each movie was supposed to be screen- each movie is supposed to be screened by a projectionist or manager before showing it to the public. A lot of things can go wrong with setup, ranging from lights and sound cue timing to film being shown in the wrong format, flat versus scope, to brain wraps where the film gets caught on itself and snaps, or worse, burns onto the lens. In reality, probably 25% of films are watched start to finish before any audience sees them. Usually the first part is watched and they just let the film complete a full run with no one in the theater. Anyway, for Phantom Menace, the management decided to let the entire staff watch the film. We were split up to watch all six reels at the same time. When it ended around 2 a.m., you could easily tell the Star Wars fans from the rest. If someone was walking around in a daze with a look of what the fuck on their face, Star Wars fan. The rest were asleep or had just woken up. The next night was the midnight showing for the masses. We had throngs of people waiting at every entrance with ropes guiding them. At one point, a man who was probably drunk got tired of waiting and started barreling through people. I had to stop him from entering the theater before it was time. I stopped him with my hand on his chest and he was about to strong arm me when I looked him in the eye and said... It's not good. I've seen it. <laughs> he looked back and it, his expression melted in defeat. <laughs> oh, man. It was George That's Lucas. True. Yeah. <laughs> That's Luke, a really good power to use on someone. Lucasfilm also requested the return of all marquees and posters. Most films just ask for the reels back and we do whatever we want with the signage. Lucasfilm numbered everything and set someone to collect each piece. When the next Star Wars was released, none of these steps were taken. I guess they figured out the Star Wars franchise really was just another movie franchise. Um, okay, so that was from Michael Soldswitch. That actually leads way better than I would have expected into this next email from Cal Colnan. Oh my god, it's the guy who said he was queuing up outside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if only. Yeah, that would have been the absolute most amazing thing that could have happened. Uh, so Cal Colnan writes, Hey Thumbs, I was able to have a once-in-a-lifetime experience in seeing The Phantom Menace. Our local theater had a midnight showing before opening night, and a few of my friends and I were able to get tickets. God, I wish it was the guy. I know, yeah. it's not the guy. Sorry. Um, our, our anticipation was at crazy levels. Star Wars has returned. The movie began. We met our Jedi Knights, met Amidala, met Jar Jar, politics, politics, landed on Tatooine, met Anakin. Oh, the Force is strong at this one. The full Watto. Let's pod race. No, wait, let's not. We'll have a climactic battle between the Gungans and droids instead. Now we'll fight Darth Maul and kill him. Oops, we didn't pod race yet. Let's go back and do that. Should we head to the Galactic Senate to stop the droid war that had already happened a half hour ago? Sure, why not? Celebration, the end. Roll credits. What a first impression. The film reels were mismarked by the studio and were loaded into the projector that way, so we saw the reels in the sequence <laughs> one, two, four, three, five. Yes! I still have yet to see The sit true down. order of uh, <laughs> when I show my kids the Phantom yeah, Menace. One, two, four, eight. Watch my YouTube edit. Um, 
I still have yet to watch down. I still have yet to sit down and watch The Phantom Menace in the correct order. I don't know if I ever should. I may have already watched The Menace in the best way possible. My biggest fear is that this will happen again in December as The Force Awakens. I'm at a similar level of hype that I haven't been at for Star Wars since 1999. That's basically impossible because even though, amazingly, The Force Awakens is being shot on 35mm film, which is crazy to me given that the prequels were shot digitally. There's no way that you're going to see that thing projected on celluloid film on a projector. You're just going to watch it come off a hard drive. Like, they forgot to defrag it. (laughs) (laughs) But like... Um, speaking of this, this is not related to Star Wars, but did you guys see that uh, that Quentin Tarantino is shooting his new movie yep. in 70 millimeter? Yes. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Did you see that Ennio Morricone is scoring an yes. original yeah. soundtrack to that movie? I did, yeah. yeah. What? That's crazy. Well, he's been, I mean, he's been, he's never stopped doing film scores. Yeah, but he, I don't think he's done like a spaghetti western style movie. No, no, no. Movie no. In, I mean, there in, haven't been many of those, yeah. I don't know who that guy is. Ennio Morricone saying, did, the, the, he did the scores to all of the the cla- like not all but many of the classic spaghetti westerns directed oh. by Sergio Leone or maybe maybe all the ones by him actually yeah but quite a few. Uh, yeah. yeah i mean like real you you'd recognize it if you heard it you know stuff okay. from like the good the bad and the ugly fistful of dollars stuff like that it's very I, it's because Tarantino has already used, used, used in his films. Like if you Tarantino movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. you've yeah. watched Kill Bill or anything like you know, I mean, yeah. you've yeah. already like it's heard the stuff that is be- yeah. that became the cliche because it was so iconic you know Awesome. Um, That's really he cool. also did the score. He's, I think he did the score to Quentin Tarantino's previous movie also. I don't think that he did, but I think... I, he has he, done I a he, Quentin Tarantino score. He's done a couple of tracks, but I don't think he did a full score ever. Because Tarantino yeah. tried to get him to score the last couple of movies that he did, and he hasn't done it. Hmm. Yeah, so. I think he did tracks. I think you're right. But... Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think. I mean, I don't think he did all the music for Django Unchained, or people would have said something about it a lot more than they did. Yeah. And they wouldn't claim that... This was the first time he was writing music for a Western, blah, 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 blah. Um, did you know that Quentin Tarantino directed an episode of CSI? I did not know that. the weirdest really? thing to ever happen. Hmm. Yeah. Was it good? Uh, yeah, it was pretty good, I guess, for CSI. <laughs> I mean, but it's like Telltale Tarantino is like one of the guys from CSI starts off driving his truck, singing some cowboy songs, listening to cowboy music on his radio, you know, but then he ends up being buried underground in a coffin. There you go. Um, <laughs> Weird. Uh, he's a big fan or something. Weird. Uh, oh god, rear mail. Anyway, I just, <laughs> oh, I just thought, oh god, I just where am I? Was, I just thought it was cool that there's a new movie being shot in seventy millimeter. Which um, last time that happened was The Master by uh, yeah, but yeah. before that it was a by, long time. Before that, it hadn't. There hadn't been a major film shot in seventy millimeter since a Ron Howard movie from 1992, I think. Oh no, you know what? The Kenneth Branagh Hamlet. In 1996, oh, yes. mm-hmm. was shot in 70 millimeter as well. But that's like a single, you know, can count on one hand the number of films in the last two decades that have been shot in that format. Um, I saw The Master mm-hmm. pre-release screened in 70 millimeter at the Castro Theater in San Francisco. Yeah, that was awesome. And I met uh, P.T. Anderson. He was walking around the lobby and I just said hi. It was cool. Anyway. Um, I met Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say hi. No. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Okay. So we got a number of emails about Splatoon um, because we've we've talked about that a number of times recently. It's many Danielle's bag, isn't it? Yeah, we, we can hold off on, okay. on I'll, Splatoon. That's fine. Dog. I can hold off on that. That's, that's okay. Uh, what else do we have here? Um, oh, Saul Alexander Witten writes, Regarding No Man's Sky, why you need PS4, Jake? Simultaneous release on PC. Yes, that is a PC game as well. 
I made a joke about wanting to finally buy a PS4 because of No Man's Sky, and then everyone said, we, what, you don't even have to, so why don't I even joke about it? Who needs a PS4 when you have PC? <laughs> True. Uh, James Maloney writes, The Curse of Captain Zoom. Hi, Thumbs. It's at <laughs> so least a week aggressive. overdue, but I figured I'd write in anyway. My birthday was a short while ago, and one of my, <gasps> family's, Zoom. One of my family's traditions growing up was to play an audio cassette of Captain Zoom each year. I wasn't particularly fond of it the first time I heard it. I think I was either five or six at the time. And over, over the years, people would find more and more joy in watching me squirm uncomfortably when it was played. I was spared the ordeal this year, instead having to suffer through Happy Birthday no less than five times over two days by different groups of people. As I arrived home that evening, I started playing that day's episode of Idle Thumbs thinking, at least there's no Captain Zoom this year. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Amazing. Well, fortunately, he didn't hear about Captain Zoom on Idle Thumbs. He heard about Commander Zoom. Oh, yeah. Jake's yeah. semi-fictional <laughs> remembrance. Yeah. I think everyone whose title is actually Captain is, com- is Commander, because I think that I thought Captain Toad was called Commander Toad as well. You did. You love Commander. Mm. Everyone's a Commander. They should be. It's uh, better so name. he says, yes, July 1st is my birthday. And even if I didn't have to hear the song, I, I guess I know I will never escape Captain Zoom's annual visit, whatever form it takes. God, that's an, that is truly incredible. I'm yeah. really pleased about this. I was going to see about sending you all MP3s of the song for each of your names, but they're more expensive than you'd expect. Also, in addition to birthdays, there are songs for Christmas, anniversaries, and weddings. You know, just in case any of you harbor a particular hatred. Those must have been... They must be just still making money off of the master tapes from the 80s. Yeah, you can go to CaptainZoom.com. And I went there. And I use the promo code yeah. I actually, exactly. I searched for Commander Zoom, and Commander Zoom actually auto-completes. Commander Zoom birthday auto-completes. So there are enough other people, Jake, who have misremembered this name in the same, exact same way you did to allow me to find what I was looking for with ease. Um, and I went there, and there are thousands of name options uh, in the Commander Zoom, Captain Zoom, uh, happy birthday songs, including some really obscure ones it's pretty good it's a good good thing it's not just like bobby and Susie and sally it's got you know good anyway p.s if for whatever reason this gets read on the air hi joe i too listen to idle thumbs what <laughs> just thought i'd let you know hi, in joe. the funniest way i could think of since you talk about the pot what <laughs> you just read that you just like, i just you, read this guy's shout out yeah, to his buddy you, just, yeah, yeah, you just started a, a very dangerous precedent there anyway that was uh, those you're there. supposed to <laughs> no <laughs> hi joe <laughs> It's your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it starts. Yeah, Do you I actually know. remember that? Yes. Wow, okay. Because my brother, we had a similar tradition of making him listen to his Captain <laughs> Zoom tape for a long time until I think we just didn't have any tape players left in the house. Right. Um, well, now it's an MP3. Yeah, now you can I'm not you for, I already bought it once. <laughs> Does my license transfer over? <laughs> just get on Napster. Get on Napster? <laughs> I wonder if there's a black market of Captain Zoom uh, trading. <laughs> if there's like a Captain Zoom complete all names yeah. torrent. Oh my god! <laughs> it probably is. Uh, where's the AUG version? Where's the Where's the flack? The where's my Where's my yeah. Captain Zoom flack? No. <laughs> where's my vinyl? My Captain Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Underground lossless Captain Zoom scene. Yeah. <laughs> um. Is that the end? Or I mean, more? I don't know. What do you, do you guys want more? Spaff wants one more. I can here's, tell. Here's, here's, one a, more. here's a fast one. Well, okay. uh, this one, Joe. Misael J. I'm sorry. I'm probably pronouncing your name wrong. Uh, Misael writes, hey, Thumbs. Hearing you guys talk about her story reminded me of another relatively modern desktop sim where you use a character's computer to uncover a mystery. Digital, a love story by Christine Love takes place we in We talked about this last week. Oh, sorry. I didn't move the email. Sorry. Oh, no. I'm the worst. Thanks again. Hi, Joe. Bye. (laughs) 
Goodbye, Joe. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Yeah, I talked about that last week. Joe. That was the guy's dude. Oh, the captain's dude. Right. Oh, right. Yeah. Yes. yes. Shout out, dude. <laughs> Joe. All right. Well, of course, that's referring to Joe Biden. Big fan. Yeah. Uh, Shout out, Joe. Friend of the show. Shout out. No, just that guy's friend. So what you're saying is the other email No, I know. I meant, is, I meant that was like President oh, Joe. Because we all know him. Joe Biden's name is Shout Out yeah, Joe. Shout Out Joe. He's always trying to sneak in with the shout outs, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, here's, here's a replacement final very short email. Um, Desiree Veter writes, Hi, Thumbs. Um, I'm Desiree. I recently got married in California uh, on June 28th to my wife, who I met on Xbox Live playing Halo. Uh, we played together for a long time, and our feelings for each other grew. Cheesy, I know. Um, we live far away from each other, but we've, we visited and started dating. She moved across the States and eventually we got engaged and married. This led to my brother being best man. He messaged Microsoft that I was getting married to the woman I met on Xbox live and they sent him back an email congratulating us on our marriage and that they were glad to be a part of it. I wanted to share this cool experience with you guys. I love your podcast. Listen to it at work and it helps pass the time. Thank you all. You're awesome. Your friend and fan Desiree. PSJ Allard married us. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, you guys. Yeah. Congrats. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so that's, awesome. that's about it. Um, you can send us email at questions at idlethumbs.net. We've been getting really great email recently, so please keep that up. If you have any questions or comments about anything we've discussed or anything you think we should discuss, questions at idlethumbs.net. And if you like the podcast, please consider uh, rating us or reviewing us on iTunes. We also have gotten some really, really nice reviews from people on iTunes. It is really helpful. It helps the show. Um get traction on the iTunes podcast store. It's not really a store, but whatever they call it. Um, so if you think we deserve it, uh, we appreciate it. And, and oh. also if you were a drunk guy in 1999, barreling through a crowd, trying to see the Phantom <laughs> Menace and were told that the please, movie was shitty, please get please email us oh. questions at thumbs.net. One more <laughs> tiny note, which is, I'm sorry that we, I know there are people because they keep posting about it who are like, when the, Buck, are you guys going to talk about her story? We waited because Danielle is gone, but the number oh, yeah. of the number of hosts who have played and completed the game continues to rise. So when Danielle is back on this continent, oh, have you finished it? I have not, but Sean has. Oh, okay. I will finish it by yeah. the time she goes back. Okay, cool. And then it's it'll be all her story all the time. New spinoff podcast where we just talk about the end of that game for like three hours a week. <laughs> <laughs> um, man, speaking of other podcasts, actually, we have a number of other podcasts on our network, uh, including. Three Moves Ahead, the definitely the finest and most popular strategy video game podcast on the internet. Um, we have a show all about Netrunner hosted by two big Netrunner dorks that I bet has got to be one of the most popular Netrunner podcasts on the internet for sure, because it's good. Um, we have uh, our currently running show that uh, Jake and Sean and I do called True Detective Weekly that is following along with the current season of true detective on hbo we're a little late this week but by the time you hear this podcast our this week's episode should be out uh and the the, the least discussed but probably should be most promoted oh, show yes on our network which is a developer interviewing developer show called designer notes it is hosted by soren johnson of civilization four and more recently off-world trading company this he puts out episodes about once a month uh and this month uh, it, he interviewed Bruce Shelley, who I guess is known Classic, for yeah. yeah Railroad Tycoon, some mm-hmm. Civ games, Age of Empires series. Yep. Uh, that is a 
crazy podcast that I listen to all the time. Oh, also, man, I forgot that Soren has a, he doesn't have a co-host, but he trades off uh, episodes now with Adam Saltzman, Saltzman mm. who um, created the like, iOS game Cannabalt, yep. as mm-hmm. well as a billion other sort of notable indie games of that scale. So those guys both do an interview podcast that's approximately monthly. And it's always worth listening to. Yes. Cool. If you liked Steve Gaynor's old Tone Control podcast, this is very much in that vein. Mm-hmm. Designer Notes. You can find it and all the other podcasts at idlethumbs.net. Um, but our site's dumb, so you have to click on the Shows button at the top <laughs> to get the complete list. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening. We will see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> That pause was just... Are we clapping today? (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Laughter. Slitty idiots. Oh, I mean... mean. (laughs) (laughs) Laughter brought to you by idiots. (laughs) Again. Yeah. Idle thoughts. There's this podcast that I really love. It's just called Idiots Laughing. (laughs) Five letter video games and iTunes for some reason. I'm not sure why. (laughs) That's about 25% of our iTunes reviews. Uh